Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wool on us. Facing and taking on all the blatant pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. So grab a shovel and dig up the tech. The debate over encryption continues, even as the big fight between Apple and the Justice Department in San Bernardino has taken at least a temporary break. The larger fight, however, continues, and certainly in a number of other legal cases involving Apple, as well as some other companies, such as the rumored one uh, going on involving the Facebook-owned company WhatsApp. And of course, Congress is stirring about this issue as well. A few weeks back, we had a podcast with special guest Marvin Amori, a lawyer who works on a number of policy issues for the tech industry, discussing the specifics of the Apple FBI fight and describing our concerns with the Justice Department's position. For the most part, the tech industry has put up something of a united front on this. Uh, A ton of companies piled in to file amicus briefs in the San Bernardino case. I think that part of the Justice Department's surprise about all this was about the near unanimity in in the response from Silicon Valley, uh, talking about what a terrible solution it would be if tech companies could be required to build backdoors into their products. Uh, So I was at least a little surprised, I think, recently to see two of my favorite thinkers on the future of technology um, uh, sort of buck the consensus view, I think, and that were uh, venture capitalists from Union Square Ventures, Fred Wilson and Albert Wenger, um, suggesting that they they weren't necessarily comfortable with this, this view on the encryption debate, and they were much more open to the idea of some sort of compromise perhaps um, something along the lines of a key escrow system. I frequently agree with both of them on nearly everything, I think, and I especially appreciate Albert's willingness to think deeply and passionately passionately about a a number of really big ideas that I'm also interested in. Um, And that's also why we had him on this podcast over a year ago discussing the concept of basic income guarantee. And as a side note, I should point out that we're now seeing more moves to test out basic income guarantee, including a major one in Finland, which is kind of exciting and worth watching. Um, But given all that, when Albert volunteered to join the podcast once again to discuss our potentially different views on the encryption debate, I thought it would be a worthwhile discussion. And with that as the introduction, welcome, Albert. Uh, it's great to be on the show, Mike. Thanks for joining us again. And I'll I'll toss it over to you to start to try and convince me that I'm wrong in supporting, uh, uh, you know, as unbreakable encryption as possible. Sure. Uh, I, I think it might be a good starting point to uh, maybe talk about some things that um, are going to be common ground, I think. And, uh, and I, I should also say that this is... Uh, not a position where Union Square Ventures has sort of speaks yet as one firm where we have kind of wrestled the issue to the ground. We're very much discussing this internally. We're spending a lot of our um, sort of time thinking about the problem, talking about it, talking to others. But so when I'm speaking here, I'm speaking really as Albert Wenger. And um, I, I think some of the things that I believe in that I think I'm not going to be controversial with you is that I think that there are some basic principles such as I don't think there should be secret courts. I don't think there should be secret orders. Um, I don't think there should even be secret surveillance programs. Um, And I also don't think there should be secret backdoors. And I don't think we should break encryption. Um, And um, I certainly think there should never be such a thing as secret evidence in courts. And um, so I think those are some no's that I think we will agree on. and um, and then I think there's some other things that I think we probably agree on, which is that public debate is a good thing and, and informed public debate and, and including really listening to each other and not kind of yelling at each other. Um, yep. uh, and I think we also agree that, um, that the legislature needs to jump into action here and define something that, that, that is missing. So I think 
think those are some um, areas for common ground that, that I think are pretty important to establish. Um, and so um, the question then becomes, okay, if you say no intentionally or secretly broken encryption, then then how can you have a compromise, right? I mean, you might say, well, you're saying all the same things we're saying, so where's the difference, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think that um, uh, the answer is, I think it is a little more complicated than that. And I'll give a couple of different examples, right? right? So um, the first example um, where it's more complicated, and I think where you can have a truly differentiated view is, um, phones that ship with some kind of secure element, I think you can have a discussion about what the capabilities of that secure element should be. Um, uh, and we should dive into that, obviously, um, some thoughts on what those should be and shouldn't be. Um, mm -hmm. But just to illustrate what I mean by that is, you know, should the secure element have the ability to erase the keys under any and all circumstances, even when the phone is, for instance, in the physical position of law enforcement, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's a legitimate discussion to be had. That's not a, it has to be one way or the other, because there's a spectrum of um, alternatives of um, how that could work. Um, another example where there's, I think, a spectrum of alternatives of how things could work is if you operate a service that end-to-end -end encrypts and you operate it as a service where you are, in fact, transiting the messages then I think there's a legitimate discussion around how much metadata you should be required to keep. Mm -hmm. And again, I think there's a spectrum on this, and I think we can argue and argue reasonably about why maybe if you operate a transit service that transits encrypted messages, you should maybe be required to keep more metadata. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is why this isn't a black-white issue like some people are trying to paint it or some people make this argument where they say it's just math. It isn't just math. Um, I've explicitly said that I don't want encryption algorithms that are intentionally broken in some way, you know, that is then on top of it kept secret. I think that doesn't help anybody. Mm -hmm. um, but there are subtleties in how these systems are implemented um, that have, I think, quite important implications for trade-offs and trade-offs that don't just involve privacy and security, but that also involve other very important um, aspects of civil society, including innovation, including um, transparency of government and other institutions, um, including uh, issues of freedom of speech. So I think the other sort of part that bothers me is that's very reductionist is that people are trying to reduce it to a privacy versus security thing. And it is much broader because it has to do with much broader implications for technology and for society. And so that's kind of my opening sort of statement here to, to follow your opening statement. And, and I'm ha happy to take it now in any direction based on, on, on that. Sure. So I think, um, you know, and, and I think on a lot of those things we we actually do agree and i do think that there is a larger debate and and a variety of things to discuss here the issue that i come back to is when it comes to um you know specifically the question around um you know the technology itself and how you build it and and the reason that people say well it's just math is not uh, and, and I think that that statement is kind of open to misinterpretation or confusion and may not be the best statement out there, but it is one that, that people make. But I think the point that people are making with that um, is not that, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this, sorry, is, is not that, you know, setting up a system that has, you know, for example, like a key escrow system, not that that's impossible, because it's certainly, it's obviously possible. The problem is that when you build a system, um, <laughs> wait, wait, okay, let me take a step back, sorry. Uh, a 
cryptography system itself is fairly complex, right? And there, uh, it's very tricky to build one that's secure. And in fact, some would argue it's almost impossible to build one that is totally secure. Almost any cryptography system is going to have some sort of vulnerabilities in it. And you know, a big part of what cryptographers and security researchers do and spend all of their time doing is trying to find those, and they always do eventually, and then trying to patch them and fix them and and protect. And the worry and the concern and the reason why people say, well, it's just math, is that they recognize that any kind of system that allows third-party access, by definition, is likely adding a layer of complexity to an already complex system and almost certainly opening up other holes. And so the concern, I think, for many of these people is less about keeping out lawful access, as is discussed, where the FBI or, or police or whatever, where they have a warrant and they have a legitimate court order, you know, not a secret one, all that kind of stuff, you know, all of that above board, but that in doing so, in building such a system, you are adding... Uh, not just a layer of complexi complexity to the system, but almost certainly opening up holes that make the overall system vulnerable to third parties, potentially those with malicious intent, whether it's state actors or criminals or whatever. And so the concern that I hear is not that everyone, you know, is like, oh, we just have to keep the FBI out or the NSA or something like that. There are certainly some people who are saying that, but really, you know, if you want to build a system that is really secure against, you know, anyone bad, including criminals trying to hack in and steal stuff, or even cr literally criminals on the street who might steal your phone and then do some stuff with the information on it, in order to protect against those kinds of attacks, we need to build systems that are so secure that even with lawful, you know, with a, a lawful court order, um, people can't get in. Yeah, I... I um... I think that you know it was a good representation of that point of view. I think I think there are a couple of different problems with that point of view. Um, I think the first problem is that um, you know we don't approach uh, anything else um, from the sort of worst case scenario either. Um, so what I mean by that, um, you know, um, we have figured out how to operate banks um, and yet once in a while money gets stolen from banks mm -hmm. um, uh, by bad third parties but we think we've decided that it's a good trade-off that banks are auditable and that we know where people keep their money because that's how we can make them pay their taxes even if that means that sometimes information leaks so we have a society chosen to make certain trade-offs around information because we understand that it's fairly important that if all the rich people could um, transfer their money without knowledge to secret bank accounts in Switzerland, that that would be bad for the way society works. Um, and um, and so I think drawing that to the absolute that you have to rule out that anybody under any circumstance can get to it because there are bad people out there is a type of fear mongering that I sort of, we are rejecting on the government side. Like we're rejecting when the government says we have to do all of this because bad people out there. And then when you read the Tim Cook interview with time, he's like, we have to do all these things to for bad people out there. And, <laughs> and it's a kind of fear mongering that I think is, is sort of unnecessary. Um, I think the other problem with uh, this argument is that um, we also, know that it's very hard to secure systems that are monocultures, that are um, closed source, that have unknown vulnerabilities that cannot be inspected. And Apple is a paragon of all of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, um, so to say um, we can't have uh, key escrow because it'll make let bad guys in, but then to at the same time be okay with a very widespread, very secretive company um, saying, but we got it covered. Like, no, they will also have problems and they just had a big other sure. security vulnerability that they had to patch, right? So, um, but, so but, I, but just, I mean, we, we should at least say that that's not mutually exclusive, right? I mean, I, I would agree certainly that I would prefer like an open system that, is, that has been audited and, and public to make sure that it's secure. And I'm not a 
I'm certainly not a big fan of sort of security by obscurity, but you know that doesn't mean we should you know. No, I'm, throw, but what I'm saying is that time. that argument that a system might have some vulnerabilities mm -hmm. isn't an argument because the existing systems, including the systems that Apple are building, will have vulnerabilities and will continue to have vulnerabilities, and so so so. You know, the, the very argument that there is no perfect system and that you're always in the realm of trade-offs. And my, my point is, if you push in one direction, you're trading off some things. And if you push in the other direction, you're trading off things. I think the argument that's wrong is to claim that there's some perfect system that doesn't involve trade-offs because of math. Yeah, but, but and I don't think anyone is claiming that, though. I mean, I think that's that's not a fair representation either. I think everyone recognizes there's... No, I, I do think, I mean, when we write about key escrow, everybody comes out and says, bad idea because backdoor, because third parties, because yada, yada. Every claim is basically a, a not a, it's just a, you know, and then when you talk to people who have actively implemented versions of key escrow systems, then you get into a more substantive discussion of, okay, how can such a system be implemented? What should it be used for? Um, you know, what has changed technologically that, you know, how can you implement such a system in a way that gives you some level of, you know, multiple tiers of defense and so forth? Um, I, what I don't like is the categorical rejection by an argument that says, oh, it introduces problems when I'm saying having a monoculture control but also introduces problems. Sure. And so that very same argument also argues against the the line of reasoning that Apple is pursuing. Yeah, but, but I don't. I, I again, I don't think those are equivalencies, right? I, and so I think that the argument that people are making about the issue when you have, um, uh, you know, a, like a key escrow system, for example, is not that doesn't mean that that the encryption without a key escrow system is perfect. In fact, everyone is kind of saying it's not. But that the holes that are created by a key escrow system are in many ways more dangerous than the vulnerabilities that will be in a system that doesn't have key escrow. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I guess my argument is as long as these systems continue to have unknown you know, zero, and zero-day exploits, sure. I just think that's a very weak argument. It's a very weak argument because the existing systems, so it's not like you're saying, hey, we have these amazing systems that are awesomely, incredibly secure, and now you're going to screw it all up. No, the reality is we have a lot of shitty software, and that, in fact, I think is a reality we actually want. So let me sure. link this to this other part of the discussion. You know, we want a reality where there's a lot of shitty software. Why? Because that's how innovation happens. Innovation requires experimentation. It requires the ability for lots of people to experiment. And so, you know, in this discussion of the secure element, for instance, I think there's an important discussion to be had. Should you be able to use the secure element to control what software runs on a phone, right? And that's another trade-off that here. As everybody goes, well, obviously we need secure elements so we can have trusted key storage, then the next question is, okay, should you also be able to use that secure element to completely lock down a phone so it can only run your OS, can only run software that has been downloaded from your app store? Um, and, and so, you know, there's a trade-off here between a path that could lead you to a monoculture where one or two or three companies control the vast swath of computation on mobile devices and will that really give us a secure world because they will have these monocultures, they will themselves be from inside and outside attack vectors and so forth. And how do we think about the cost to innovation of these lockdown devices? Um, so I, I just think that that the, 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 the point is that there's a picture being painted as you could somehow achieve perfection. Mm -hmm. If you just insisted on this one way of doing it that doesn't introduce any quote-unquote complications, that completely ignores all the complications that this other path introduces, and it introduces lots of complications. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and, and, and That's my point. Not just complications about security, but complications about innovation. Apple is trying to make the argument that um, they are, should be protected here under First Amendment rights. 
I am a believer that code should be protected by First Amendment. I also think that raises the question then, if I have some piece of code and there is a company that controls a large number of computing devices on which this code can't be run, is that compatible with First Amendment rights? So, um, and let, let me give you another part of this that, you know, I think is, is sort of a, a, a problem here, which is um, one of the arguments Tim Cook made in his, in his interview was he said, nobody should have a key that turns a billion locks. And it's a great snappy line. But isn't Apple the company that doesn't just turn the lock, but actually rearrange your furniture when they auto upgrade your OS? So they have actually a key to a billion locks. Right. And so it just, I think to paint one system as sort of a system that could somehow give us perfect privacy without having a lot of negative consequences. And I'm not just talking about security. I'm talking about innovation. I'm talking about First Amendment rights. I'm talking about accountability of government. You know, there's this recent article that San Francisco government officials may be using Telegram to avoid mm -hmm. the Official Records Act. Um, I just think we need this broad-based discussion of what are all the implications of going down a particular route of technology. Yeah. And that I think is what's missing from the discussion. And and I think I think there are a lot of valid points in, in what you're raising. And I, I've certainly spoken out about my concern about, you know, locked devices and not being able to to open up devices or install software that you want or, you know, potentially change OSs or anything like that. And so I agree about that and I certainly have concerns about, you know, the way that Apple, for instance, has implemented its security system whereby it effectively, you know, locks Apple uh, in and as as the controller and I, I and I agree with that but that is you know that's an implementation question and maybe this is all an implementation question yes it's all an implementation yeah. question and there are people who say there's just no way to implement key escrow in any way that, that that would work and by the way when we've been talking about key escrow we've only been talking about key escrow in a particular context of device unlocking right sure. not key escrow for any and all communications it's just saying hey, one way you could have a device that could be unlocked is you could say the device has to be in the physical possession of law enforcement, A, and on top of that, law enforcement then to circumvent the deletion of keys has to request a device-specific key, and only that key will allow law enforcement. So that means if you lose your phone in, your, in the cab and unspecified bad guys get to it, um, they won't be able to uh, circumvent your secure element and you will, in fact, it'll wipe the keys, etc. So we were only discussing key escrow in that very limited context. And I should say, you know, companies like Coinbase and others have implemented very sophisticated key escrow systems where most of the keys are stored offline in bank vaults, right? And we're pretty good at physical security these days in the world. And so the idea that this system is sort of easily hackable uh i don't i just don't buy that there's a lot of implementation does is it foolproof will no key ever be revealed absolutely not i'm not making that claim ever but i think we can construct and you know apple is a master at this their source code hasn't leaked their master key hasn't leaked like the very company that's actually really good at security yeah <laughs> you know they've but, actually implemented really good security yeah but but again i mean i think I think we're talking about different things, and it's and it's easy to to sort of slip into to what feel like easy comparisons when the situations are actually pretty different. And and I don't think that anyone is really concerned about like you know if Apple well you know if Apple keeps the keys. Certainly, first of all, that does make them a target. We can say that they're very very good at security, and and so even if you know. Yeah, but 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 but. but. Realistically, they're target today. Sure, they're target for their source code. They're target for their for their business, like right. it, like so, intelligence. So let's, so let's, like, like let's, it, it's just it's just absurd to say that somehow it's gonna like fundamentally change the situation that Apple finds itself in. Well, but but I don't think that's true. So so but there's there's a different situation here, which is not just about protecting the keys themselves. It's that to build that system that allows a third party to keep the keys, in this case, Apple, you know, in the description we have where Apple keeps the keys in some sort of vault and maybe offline and only will reveal them. It's the system that allows that 
the fear is that that then opens up another vector of attack, not necessarily about getting the keys, but in the complexity of the system that there will be ways that, that people can hack in. And we've seen examples of that in other you know, encryption systems in the past where because of the level of complexity, it opens up uh, another vector of attack. And, and that's the concern, not about necessarily protecting I, I, I understand, the keys. But, but, but again, this is a, this to me is a, a classic sort of fallacy. It is suggesting that somehow this will increase the complexity of the system in ways that other things aren't increasing the complexity of the system. And I just think well, I, but, that but there, I, there, I, there is I, very I, little basis for that I, argument. I, well, right? I, I mean, I mean like, like, like if you look at if you look at the complexity of a modern phone, it's constantly changing. There are chipsets changing. There are, you know, the, the, the phone, both from the hardware and the software stack, is so insanely complex, right? Yeah. And then to say, oh, but that one little thing that you're asking for, that's going to push it over the top, and that's just going to unmitigatedly, disastrously, forever, completely destroy any kind of notion of privacy that we might possibly hope to have. And that's the argument that's being made. That's how it comes across. And to oh, okay. me, that is just that is just not like it, it's it's sort of it's sort of saying we have this insanely complex thing here. We're going to make one thing different and that's going to make the whole edifice just come crumbling down and be a complete disaster. Okay, so that that might be a slight exaggeration and, and I'll, I'll grant you that some people are claiming that and that might be an exaggeration. But but let me explain why I don't think it's as crazy an exaggeration as you, as you think it is, which is that the there's something that is different about this, which is that you are you are forcing in some sort of opening and because and making the assumption that this is you know required by law or the decision is that they're going to make this available by law or through mm -hmm. you know, for 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 legal means that means that when that whatever vulnerability is discovered it becomes much more difficult to what, potentially what impossible to patch right so what that's mean, the, that's what, the what do you mean when this I, I, what do you mean when this vulnerability is discovered? Uh, what I'm saying is because of the complexity that is added, and again, you're right that all these different things are complex, and with any of them, there are vulnerabilities included. But the difference is that in most of the cases when the vulnerability is discovered, there are, that's what you know everyone jumps on board to, to figure out a way to patch it, right? That's what Apple just did with the vulnerability that was disclosed last weekend. But when you have a system that because of, you know, again, whether it's the law or whether it's an agreement with law enforcement that this stuff will be available, now you have another condition that makes it much more difficult to patch because you've already promised that this kind of, you know, whether it's key escrow or this kind of backdoor is in the system. And if the only way to patch that hole is to then close that door or close off that key escrow, you've created a different kind of problem. So the, the difference with this situation, and I think where the concern comes in, is that you've opened a door that you're not allowed to close in some ways. And that's where the concern is. Everyone, I, I, I think, you know, you kept making this point, which is valid that, you know, some people are sort of arguing that, you know, one system is perfect. I'm not, and there may be people out there arguing that, I, you know, the cryptographer folks that I've talked to are saying the opposite, which is that no system is perfect, you know, and, and, and they agree with you that there are holes in everything. But what they're arguing is that when you have a forced hole of any kind, whether it's key escrow or, or something else or some other kind of backdoor, you are making it much harder to then fix that vulnerability when it's found. And that's that's where the point of concern really is. These other holes, they come up, they're found, and then you patch them because that's what you have to do. But if you have a system that has to have some sort of door and some sort of opening, and it's it's sort of tough to come up with the right analogy here, you can't close it. As yeah, I, I would, I would, I would have more sympathy for that argument if we had found vulnerabilities in the past where we then had decided that the like fundamentals we couldn't like offer something at all, right? So we found problems in various like algorithms, uh -huh. and we've usually figured out another way to substitute an algorithm for that. I mean, we've realized that some keys were too small and so we started to use larger keys. We've figured out to that, you know, um, some hashes were too small and would have collisions and we figured out how to substitute larger ones. We figured out that some things were totally broken, but but we figured out how to solve this. But again, but you didn't, you didn't have that same wait, 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 w
going to have a problem with this that we somehow can't solve. I mean, you know, it, it, and and to me that's sort of like um, it's a form of um, preemptive um, argument that I think could be used against almost anything, right? You could <laughs> you could use that you could use that against you know. Um, almost anything say you shouldn't do this by virtue of the law because it may cause a problem down the line that you can't solve. No, and I just think that's a no, weird that's, argument. That's, no, that's not what I'm saying, though. And I, I think no, that's, that's, I think, I think that's I, what you said. I think, that's I think you just said you're going to make a law that's going to cause a problem that we can't solve. No, no, I'm, I'm saying because of the specifics of what the, the law requires, which is, it, you know... I, no, no, I, we haven't talked yet about okay. what... Uh, but I'm, I, what I'm saying is if, if, if the system has a built-in backdoor for the purpose of allowing law enforcement to, to get at it, then if there's a vulnerability found in that, you, you're in this position. I, I, I don't understand your argument about why that is. Like if the law were prescribing a specific algorithm, I would agree. With you. If the law says this is the algorithm, th right. that would be stupid law. Like you don't want a law that says this is the algorithm because now you've got a problem. If that algorithm has a problem, you've got a problem. But if the law basically says, look, if one of your devices is in our position, there's got to be a mechanism that you provide. And that, by the way, you different companies can compete on what that mechanism is. We're not prescribing the mechanism. There has to be a mechanism for us to get at keys stored on this device without them being wiped, okay? Yes, I think there will be some faulty implementations of that. Absolutely, yes. But I think if there are many different implementations and, and if people compete with this, um, then I think that's fine. And, and I also come back to the other argument. I think, you know, much of the problems in security that we have come from systems that are not auditable, that are not open source. Sure. And if I look at the security vulnerabilities going forward, the issues coming from monoculture of systems and coming from closed source and coming from um, are much bigger um, than those that would be introduced by this. And and I think people are going to, you know, um, like I do think you want to really constrain things down, but I think to argue that once you really constrain things down, like I think an escrow scheme that would require any key that's used anywhere to be also escrowed, et cetera, I think is completely crazy. I think that's that's the kind of super large surface area that I think is, you know, is is problematic. But I think to use that to then argue that there isn't a much reduced requiring physical position and specifically for the notion of unlocking. Like you could even argue that, you know, um, that's sort of a, you know, almost a physical safety feature of a device, right? Um, uh, what I mean by that is um, we require a lot of physical safety features for a lot of other devices, right? Like a fail-safe button of some form if all else fails. And so I think we need to get away from the generic arguments, which is what you're making. You're making a generic argument, and we need to get to the point where we say, can we construct a system understanding that it adds complexity, understanding that that adds failure modes, but where we agree on a fairly tightly constrained set of circumstances where this matters. Um, I feel like we're a little hung up on that particular instance uh, issue. I do think it's important to say, like, we're not talking about preventing people from downloading Telegram if they want to download Telegram. Um, I do, however, think if you are um, Apple um, or um, Facebook um, and you are providing transit for encrypted um, messages and you are under U.S. jurisdiction, I do think we should discuss what your metadata collection and retention requirements are. And some people will say to that, well, gee, then people will just use Telegram. Um, but I don't think that's a particularly good argument because if we think about the history of other um, things where we've decided to take regulatory action, in many realms we've decided 
to take regulatory action unilaterally in one country or multiple countries before doing it everywhere. Um, I mean, Bank Secrecy Act or Bank, you know, is 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 a very good example. And you know, KYC and AML regulations they didn't start all over the world. Some people started to say, "Hey, we should really know who these people are and what they do with their money." And then gradually over time, that got more and more adopted. Um, and people weren't like, "Well, it's people are just going to move their money elsewhere." Over time, people were like, "Yeah, that actually makes sense." And then. Today, even Switzerland is basically surrounded and under a massive amount of pressure to 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 uh, to do this. And so, so I do think that if we said, "Hey, you want to provide encrypted end-to-end transit," you got to keep more metadata as a as a as a quid pro quo. Um, I do think that's a debate. That's the kind of debate we should have. And I think that if we did this and we said that's the we've reached some agreement on what metadata that you have to keep, how long you have to keep it for and, and under what circumstances you need to make it available to law enforcement, etc. Um, I think we could have a sensible piece of legislation there um, that is possible. And, and I think we need to not slam the door a priori and say, we want to have a public debate, but this is a no-go, this is a no-go, this is a no-go. You can't talk about any of those things because, because math. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And so I think, I mean, there are a few different points there to respond to. Um, and, and, We've been talking for a while, and I don't think we're going to come to an agreement by the end of this. No, but it's a good conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, so a few different things. So, one, just going back to kind of the iPhone situation, and then I'll I'll get to the metadata question and the transit question in a second. But going back to to, I, I, I'm I'm still concerned, and you said sort of we don't have examples of this kind of problem, um, and I I think one of the reasons we don't have you know examples that we do kind of have an example, which was the Clipper chip, which tried to set up a key escrow system in the 1990s. And I, I, just, I, I think bringing up the Clipper chip, I think, is just irrelevant for what we're proposing. It is totally irrelevant. Uh, I mean, it, why? It's completely irrelevant. Why? Because the Clipper chip was about all ongoing communication and escrowing all keys. And I've already said that I don't want such a system. So I think it's an irrelevant comment. But 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 it was a system where you know a, a vulnerability. It was a system where government was proposing a specific implementation, sure. and I already said that I don't want that. So okay. I just think it's it. But, I but, think but, it's irrelevant to bring up the literature. Uh, all right. Well, I, I, I disagree. But I, I, I... Well, in what way is what I'm proposing similar to the literature? I, I, but I'm, I'm not making the full and I'm not saying that that what you're saying is similar to the the clipper chip. You were just saying that you your argument earlier was that, you know, if if a flaw is found, it can be fixed. Right. The reason we don't have the clipper chip today is because they found a flaw that couldn't be fixed. Right. So that that was the concern. Now, I recognize there were differences in terms of the clipper chip in terms of that. It was an actual implementation. It was, a you know, the actual system that was, you know, effectively designed to be forced onto everyone to, to make use of. Um, but, you know, that was an example where, you know, if that was a situation that could just easily be fixed when Matt Blaze came out with his paper, you know, demonstrating the flaws in the Clipper system, they would have just gone back to the drawing board and fixed the flaws in it. And we still would have had a Clipper chip to deal with. But we don't because they kind of recognized there wasn't a really easy way to fix that. So I think there are legitimate concerns. And then the second concern that I'll add to that, and then I'll get to the metadata question, but you can challenge me on this next point, too, is that the other thing that worries me about the possibility of opening up something and you say, well, you know, there are ways to fix it. There are always vulnerabilities and there'll be ways to fix it is the risk of, of the dam bursting kind of situation where if there is a, a, a flaw that is big enough and dangerous enough that is found here, if you don't catch that in time, that is a really serious risk because it's not something where where only a few phones get attacked or anything. If, if but that's the same argument for damn zero day exploits. They exist. They just exist. They exist. Zero day exploit exists. Unknown exploits exist. They what? exist, and and that's just it's just true. And they get patched. And so you you come back to the argument. Well, what if it can't get patched? But like you haven't made a compelling argument for why, if we're not prescribing a particular implementation, if we're just saying it but, has but to you, be But if you are unlockable, if wait, you are prescribing wait, wait, that it wait, must wait, be wait, unlockable, wait. then you are. It must be un- it must be unlockable when in physical possession. That could mean a lot of things. That could literally require you to open the phone and connect something that then adds the key to that particular storage element. Okay, so there could be a meaningful hardware component to this, right? 
So it's not, it, it is just not the same. Like I think systems that are in flight is a very different, I think what, what this is about is that this very specific case of saying, how far can a secure element go? And essentially, if you think about the principle of the law, that if you want to have the rule of law, you need to have it so that evidence cannot be manipulated after you've been like, you know, after there, after the law has said, I'm going to come and take your emails. You can't delete your emails after the fact, right? Mm -hmm. That's a fairly well-established principle sure. of the law. It's hard to imagine how the law would work if evidence can be manipulated after the fact, right? Um, so I think that a phone that can wipe its keys after government has legitimately said, uh, there's evidence on here that we want to see, is a way of wiping out evidence after the fact. Okay, and I think that is a fairly important principle. Um, and I but, think, but that's a, that's a, that's a different careful. that's a different principle, right? I mean, you could still. I mean, there's a potential argument there that that is that is evidence tampering, and you could go after someone for evidence tampering if that's if they've set up their system to do that, right? But that's exactly what Apple's phone does. You punch in the wrong code, it, it wipes the keys. But, right, but but that's but, exactly but, what it but does. Who's, right? But just, who's just to be clear? Sure, yeah, of course. But but then in those cases, who's well, well, you have different. There are different questions there. So one is then who is then liable for it? It's it's not Apple, right? There is a question then of whether or not Wait, you could. Why, why, why? I'm curious if 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 you made other devices that would let people circumvent evidence after the fact, I think people would say like, if you think of the the physical analog to that, I don't think we would let people build, um, you know, uh, like. Corporations build email systems that you know if you receive a subpoena it can delete all the email after you've already received the subpoena. But 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 that's different, right? So that that in that specific case you're talking about where you know where there's a you know a subpoena there's a, there's a legal instrument that's causing you know the deletion. This is not that you know what Apple's is is if you know if false entries are put in you know ten times in a row or whatever. But that that is targeted at everyone. That's not just tar that's not targeted at law enforcement. No, but it has the effect. It has sure. the effect. It has the effect. Of, but but so I mean, if if you had but if if you had if you had you know paper that disintegrates in evidence or whatever you know I'm sort of coming up with an awful analogy. But like you know something that just disintegrates that that would do that whether or not it is in possession we, of we law would enforcement. We would almost certainly not allow you to keep your financial records. On paper that disintegrates right. for that very reason but, that but, but, but that's... Have, no 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 wait wait we that's my point we have made in many other areas we've made the decision that certain records must be kept in a certain way so that they cannot easily be manipulated after the fact that's like that's, that's a that's, decision so, that we so, made as society financial records you're right but but we're talking about everything in your life now that's on your phone right I mean there's a lot of information a lot of personal information that I don't think rises to the same level of financial information. And there are reasons why we track financial information. The issue here is that the, all of the other information that you're talking about on your phone that is very personal and private and is information that, that we don't keep records on the same way that we keep financial information for very good reason, right? Uh, you're introducing a completely new argument, but <laughs> carry on. I mean, that's a completely, that's a completely orthogonal argument, but, I, but Well, I don't on. think so, though. I mean, because, I mean, we're talking about, you know, I mean, communications information. We we don't keep track. We don't force you to keep, you know, track of all communication information right now already for a variety of reasons, and I don't think we want to, right? So I, I mean, to some extent, this gets to this gets to the question of of data retention and, and you know metadata that you were talking about, and I have concerns there too. But but one of them even is whether or not that that is a solution that that needs to be regulated to so my argument here is i i i i there it's it's sort of a two-point argument here so the first is that i worry about a system that is that is mandated data retention because we've seen that be abused over and over again in a variety of different contexts so i worry about that in the first place but the second point is i'm not sure that that is necessary to regulate in any real sense because for Many or most services, I think there are legitimate and useful business 
reasons why they will want to retain certain records for a certain period of time, whether it's for billing or for data mining or for customization or for you know historical record or for, for whatever reason, there are business reasons why people will retain it. There may be some services that decide for their own business reasons not to do that, but I think historically we've seen that even when we do have services that promise no logs or that you know will toss out their 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 data records very very quickly those services actually are not that popular um you know in the long run and and honestly are not nearly as useful as the other services that retain the data because they can actually make use of that data to do stuff so i worry about the the sort of government mandated data retention aspect when I think that, you know, in most cases, data retention will occur naturally for business reasons, and therefore you still get the same thing without necessarily building up certain rules that, that are more likely to be abused. Um, I think that's an interesting argument. Um, I, I, I think the sort of flip side to that is if businesses are going to retain this anyhow um, most of the time then the cost of this kind of regulation seems pretty low and in fact um, that regulation could in fact be helpful because it could also put some limits on how long you can retain it so so it's it sort of I think if you're saying hey most people are doing this anyhow then the cost of turning it into law would seem to be quite low actually um, and 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 um, and I think the, but, but, the I mean, parts you, that are the, you, but, but, but you, let me finish the, the part the parts that are important the parts that are important to regulate I think aren't just what companies should or shouldn't retain but also are what governments should have access to or not have access to right okay. um, and I think that um, you know under your non-law situation the problem we have is that I don't think we're setting boundaries on under what circumstances government can have access to metadata and so forth. And so I, I actually think this is a void that needs to be filled. And um, I think it is better that it be filled by uh, a law that is fairly specific about what kind of metadata, and uh, but also then very specific about under what circumstances government can access. And that, and that I'm I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm in complete agreement that that the law should be very explicit about what government can access and and under what circumstances. And so I would completely agree on that. Where I get worried is where then the, there is a mandate about what needs to be kept and and for how long. And and I would argue, you know, against your point that if businesses are doing it anyways, it's no big deal. I, I, you know, well, that's the argument. You were just making the argument that it's no big deal the other way around well, because business are well, it, so. no, no, that it's no big deal to them. <laughs> add, yeah, okay, I'm saying it's, it's no the right. Side of your argument. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, 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 your argument that it's no big deal to then add the regulatory layer over it, requiring it. So, but what I'm saying is that you know, different companies will retain different things and for different amounts of times and for different reasons. I would rather that be a situation where they do so for for business and innovation reasons, and that think, there'll be differences think, in yeah, what they do. We have chosen in many areas, we have chosen to mandate this because we wanted to find the right trade-off between um, what we think society needs to operate and what we think uh, businesses should be able to decide on their own, right? I mean, I, I think that... And, and, um, but, and we've done that historically, but do you think the balance that we've done historically has been a proper balance? Well, I think where we've gone wrong is that we have both collected, scooped up, um, you know, um, analyzed reams of metadata without users knowing about it and without companies knowing about it sure. secret. I think that's a huge breach of trust. So don't get me wrong. I think government has breached corporations' trust and end users' trust. Um, I just think that the solution to that isn't to say, now we're going to build systems that don't retain any data, that encrypt everything, et cetera. I think the solution to that is let's come up with ways to um, reestablish trust, and that will require legislation, and that legislation will need to set boundaries, and we will need to figure out ways of, um, of you know, properly enforcing that legislation. But I don't think that the answer should be that we're going to just let businesses decide all those things for themselves, um, because I think that um, that makes the wrong set of trade-offs. Uh, even on such things as you know collective intelligence, right? Um, I think that um, um, you know I think government has been wrong 
also in saying we're doing this only for terrorism. I, I think that's a wrong argument, first of all, because I think terrorism isn't a separate issue from law enforcement. And I think as we're seeing uh, in many of these European cases now, uh, many of the uh, people involved in the cases are also have criminal backgrounds. And I just think that we should think about law enforcement generally um, and enforcing the rule of law law, including also laws about transparency of government. And so I do think that, you know, um, some clearly defined record keeping requirement with clearly defined rules on when and how these metadata records can be accessed, I think is a net um, positive, or at least could be a net positive. And I think, I think we're, you know, you know, I, I know Fred took a lot of flag for the words that he used, but I think if we aren't at least open to discussing this, if we then immediately say, no, we got to have complete encryption, we got to have no metadata requirements, we got to have no metadata collection, we got to have no, 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 no. I just think you're not trying to have a debate. You're just like throwing out a solution that's all the way up against the wall on one end. That's not how you have a debate. And well, yeah. I think I'm throwing out things that I think are limited, are implementable, um, will have issues in the implementation um, without a doubt, there's never been a law that hasn't had some issues. There's never been a technology that hasn't had some issues. Um, but at least I'm leaning forward and I'm making some concrete proposals that I think should be discussed with more reason than they're currently being discussed. Okay. I, I, and I, I like I see your point in that there there are extremes in this debate, and and I think there are people on both sides who have who have been you know perhaps you know, too extreme and closing off. But I, I think that that does underplay some of the reasons behind the, the people who are concerned about the solutions that, that you're suggesting. But and, and I think, honestly, like a lot of people are willing to have this discussion. But but part of their argument is that they they don't want a system that they feel is is weak and compromised. But, you know, I, I think, you know, We've gone longer than I normally go on these podcasts, um, and and it's an interesting discussion, and we can continue it. And I have a whole other um, a train of thought that, that I was thinking of, but I don't even want to start it because then we'll, <laughs> we'll, never, we'll never get off this uh, this discussion. Um, but but uh, you know, as our as our guest, uh, I'll, I'll let you get in the final word, and uh, if you have any. No, I, I don't actually point. have a final word here. <laughs> I, I I don't think there should be a final word. I I, okay. I really think. This should be the beginning of the conversation for the two of us, for many others who want to join. And uh, so there shouldn't be a final word. All right. That sounds good. And so uh, for our listeners, uh, hopefully you enjoyed this. And if you want to join in the debate, please do. Um, we will obviously have comments going on on the TechDirt post that goes with this. Uh, this, And, and I'm sure, Albert, uh, you and I will continue this discussion, uh, hopefully uh, whether in person or in writing or in a future podcast as well. And uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll continue and everyone else will, will join as well. So um, thanks a lot for for a very interesting uh, discussion where it's fun when, when we disagree on things because, uh, as I said, I certainly find that it, I, I, I agree with it you It produces more information. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yes. I mean, no, it was great. It was really great. It, I really it enjoyed always, it. And, uh, it's um, always a, a challenge. And I, I'm glad we did this, Mike. Yeah, same here. And so uh, thank you and, uh, and thanks to our listeners. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Duh. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get. Huh. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Duh.